winter is coming. You're listening to the Watchers of Westeros. I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. I've also heard the phrase, Lannister always pays his debt. For the night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. So I have to tell you, I have to tell you right now, I am, I am kicking myself as I'm listening to that music. I'm kicking myself because the other day I was out for a walk. I was walk, walking down the street and I walked past this uh, tea place, you know, where you go in and get a cup of tea. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're all familiar with that in England, Karen. And out front they had one of those sandwich boards, you know, those chalkboards. And they had drawn on it an image of Cersei Lann- Lannister. And at the bottom to tie it in with the T, they made a really bad pun, and they wrote Cersei T. Lannister, and I wish right now, as I'm hearing that music, I wish I had taken a picture of it so I could share it with all of you, but I, I forgot, I plum forgot, and so I will take full responsibility if you want to chop my head off. I have failed in my responsibilities as a Game of Thrones podcast host. I did not get the picture of the great Game of Thrones reference out in public, but you are in the right place if you want some Game of Thrones talk. We're, here, we're back this week here on the Watchers of Westeros talk about the fourth episode of season five and uh well first introductions are are in order my name is dominic i'm the one who failed to take the picture and joining me as he always does is my good friend and co-host kieran hello hello everybody who is listening in to the watchers of westeros we are now hitting the dizzy heights of episode four of season five and i have to condone therefore Dominic's actions for not taking that photo because that's the one that I think everyone would have liked to have seen. So maybe next time, Dominic, just yeah. you know, get that camera at the ready, get your phone out. I, I should and, have and have and have it all set. I, I wasn't in a rush or anything. I was just out for a leisurely walk and I saw it and I and it, it made me chuckle and and I, and I thought and I thought as I was about uh, you know halfway, you know about good. 25 steps past it and i thought i should have taken a picture of that and instead of going back i just kept walking so i I really i did not (laughs) i i really failed in my responsibilities but what we won't do is fail to discuss season five episode four sons of the harpy lots and lots of chaos we got like two major riots almost (laughs) in this i i wouldn't even call them riots they're more just just all-out attacks in in two very different locations in King's Landing and out in the east, and and we'll get into all of that here. But we'll start as we always do with our first impressions of the episode, and for that, I'll throw it over to you, Kieran. First, what were your overall impressions of Sons of the Harpy? Overall impressions. I thought it was a it was a good episode. I wouldn't say it's necessarily my favorite. Mm-hmm. I have to say there was a lot of times when. A lot of characters were enunciating exposition, which I didn't necessarily <laughs> feel was completely necessary sure. at times because I felt that this was information which, as an audience member, we'd already been provided before. And I can understand that the aim, of course, was to 
rejig the memories in our mind. But I do think that there are a couple of scenes which, which weren't which ones, completely necessary. Which ones in particular are you are you thinking of? I'm thinking particularly of the Sand Snakes when one of Oberyn Martell's chil- uh, children goes mm. on her little talk of when she was a youngster and when they first met Oberyn. I think that would have been a lot better if she literally just threw the spear at that guy's head and then said, I'm in. <laughs> to prove a point, I, I think that could have been... Uh, that, that was just a case study, I think, on a couple of areas which could have been improved. Or at least if there was going to be long dialogue between characters, then there would have been a little bit more depth and significance to them. I think Jamie and Bronze, another example. There, there, there were good chemistry. Mm-hmm. There was good chemistry between the two characters. But... I mean, may, maybe I'm just looking at it from a bit of a narrow-minded view in this episode, and it may have bigger repercussions later. But there are a couple of seeds where I thought, we've said this before. We're asking John once again, does he want to go down south of the wall? And he says no. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just a couple of those moments. But overall, though, I did think it was still a good episode. Big shock at the end as well. We're starting to get those shocks return, yeah, which well, is you pretty call- good. You called it last week. You called that Sir Barristan's Helmy would go down, and I... I didn't believe you. I did not believe you, but you were right. You were right about him. Tell well, your I, might, I might have another prediction at the end of this episode, <laughs> oh, no. but I don't know if I want it to be a prophecy every time I do a prediction. Uh, but yeah, that was, I thought that was really good because I, I was, it was nice to see Marine and that story beginning mm-hmm. to progress a little bit more. We've yeah. really been at Marine. Danny's been sitting up top on that throne. People have come up to voice their complaints. It's about time some action starts to kick off really a marine and i did like king's landing scenes in particular but my favorite two scenes out of all of this was the stannis and shireen scene yes. i thought that was well executed and the little finger sansa scene so Ooh. i look forward to that getting more creepy. in depth about about those particular scenes and i'm glad that you seem to be echoing some of those thoughts but i won't take all of the spotlight dominic i'll throw the question over to you now and Ask for what your initial impressions of the Sons of the Harpy were. Yeah, I I like this episode. I I agree with you. It wasn't the best of this season. I still think last week uh, was the very best. But I like that they kind of picked four stories just kind of focus in on it. And we didn't, you know, we didn't have to check in with Arya this week. We didn't have to, you know, see some of the, we didn't have to check in with Brienne and Podrick. We we really chose four stories and stuck with them or or four or five stories, I guess, Um, if because the Stannis John stuff kind of melds together, kind of doesn't. Um, but I really like that. I think that it gave us a good chance to to look in on on what was going going on in in those locations and really and, and really get a chance to to spend some time there. Whereas you know in, in previous episodes, particularly the premiere, I, I felt that we were kind of just jumping all over the place, just sort of to go, okay, this is where this person is, 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 and there wasn't really any substance to it. And this week, I feel like there was a lot of substance to everything that was going on. Nothing was done um, just for the sake of having these characters in the episodes. You know, we didn't we didn't see Roose Bolton or Ramsay Bolton or Theon, even though we were in Winterfell. We we didn't have to spend time with them. Uh, because we were really focusing in on what was important, and that was Sansa learning a bit about her family. And and there's a a lot of hints in this episode that uh, we're building up to perhaps a reveal of something that people have have speculated on uh, about Jon Snow for a long time. You know, R plus L equals J. There's a lot of a uh, 
lot of lot of hints of that in this episode, both in both from what Stannis says and from well, from Littlefinger's story. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll get into all of that as we as we discuss those storylines. But yeah, I, I but I, I don't know if I necessarily felt the same way about some of the exposition uh, exposition lines. I think uh, you know, I, I kind of see what you're saying about that one particular scene. But I, I also I also like that story. You know, it reminds us of who Oberyn, Oberyn was. And and the other thing about those characters about the Sand Snakes, and this is something we talked about in the in the preview for these episodes, is that it really feels like. Oberyn Martell, it, not since a, not since Ned Stark as a character who died left such a huge impact on what is going on, and it looks like we they're gearing up for war, gearing up for war because of what happened at the end of last season. So I I, I think that's really cool. So let let's start off and and uh, and start with Jamie and Braun because I thought that was really interesting and we because we had Braun really questioning Jamie as to why they're doing this why are they going on this journey why is Jamie Lannister coming along and you know really questioning Jamie's motivations because you know in in previous episodes this season we haven't really talked about what Jamie's been up to you know uh Cersei sends him or he he agrees to go f- get their daughter and you know he's always avoided admitting to being the children of or being the father of these children for obvious reasons and now we're really for the first time seeing him act like a bit like their father and so i i want i want your take on what you think jamie's motivations are in this scene is it you know fatherly uh love for his child or is it is he trying to get back on cersei's good side um what, what do you think is going on there personally I think that scene really lends itself to the fact that Jamie's trying to get back into Cersei's good books. He talks about the way that he would want to go out of this world, and that was to be in the arms of his lover. And for Jamie, in a way, his overriding ambition has always been his relationship with Cersei, or at least his ties with his family. But you look at the family he's got left now. His father's died. He's really disowned Tyrion in this episode, yeah. isn't he? Said he's going to cut him in half if he sees him. Now, debatable whether that would actually happen or not, but <laughs> clearly he's, he's less than pleased with what happened there. I think partly because he feels guilty at the fact that it was him who released Tyrion in the first place, which yeah. is really what's caused a lot of this mess. So he's, he's really trying to make amends for a lot of what's happened of last season, I think, as well. In terms of, as you said, this overriding goal then, I think that he does want to get back into Cersei's good books. And also, it is personal glory. Yeah. We always remember, well, we don't always remember, if you, if you do remember that scene in the first episode of season four when Jamie's in the war room with Joffrey... And Joffrey's going through the book and the list of Kingsguards and saying, oh, well, let's look at all of these people in the past who have done glorious and honourable deeds. Jamie's was a paragraph. There was nothing there. Jamie wants to go out fighting and he wants it to be exciting. And in a way, it seems that Bronn is the perfect match for him then. Mm -hmm. I think he can learn a lot from Bronn because he is living that exciting life, or at least he has done. Bronn says as much. He says he wants to die a boring death because he's had so much excitement in this world to deal with. I mean, in a way, Jamie kind of admires that. Yeah. But 
if he rescues uh, Marcella for him, for not just Cersei, but for himself, it will demonstrate that he still can be this glorious and eulogized figurehead that could maybe have a, a some sort of statue or memorabilia erected for him. He wants to be remembered in in a, in a glorious manner. I think. I, I'd be interested to get your take. So, I mean, my take is that I think it's a mixture of both. Yeah. Which one overrides the other is open up for interpretation, but I would probably say Cersei still, but glory's important. Yeah, I, you, you bring up some interesting things about, about glory there, because that is something that we saw a lot of in season one with Jamie. You know, we saw he was, you know, he would, he considered himself the best fighter because he won all these tournaments. Um, and then, you know, he was challenged by, by Tywin. Uh, you know, Tywin says to him, you're, you're not interested in the family. You're just interested in glory, even though you say that you're not. A- and I think that is really something that's going to come back in this season. And I think you're right. I think that moment with Joffrey there uh, it really made Jamie think, especially because he's, he's gone through this whole ordeal of losing his hand. And, and especially now that, that Tywin is gone. So I, I'm really wondering if what we're seeing here is almost the downfall or the, the tragedy of Jamie Lannister, because he was this sort of awful, evil knight in the first season. And over the next few seasons, we saw him go through all of this character development, especially with Brienne. And, you know, to this point where he wasn't so terrible, you know, he, we didn't consider him immediately evil the same way, same way we do with Cersei or the same way we did in season one. And now it almost seems like he's beginning to try and get back into get back to where he was at the be- at the beginning of the show. That you know he's doing these things for Cersei because he thinks it will gain him glory and gain her love. Because well, they they've had some rough patch- patches of lately, particularly when he raped her back in season four. And, and so you have you have some some issues like that to to deal with and. I'm really beginning to wonder if we're going to begin to see sort of the unwinding of all of that good character building stuff that we saw with him over the past few seasons, this season and in the next few seasons, and he's going to wind up just being where he was at the beginning, being a a Kingsguard or, you know, a bad knight, quote unquote, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And I think we, we're, we're seeing that a little bit is in due to the fact that that Tyrion did kill Tywin and that you know this all this good that we we as the audience thought he was doing well it wound up with his father dead and his family um potentially in ruin which i mean quote unquote in ruin because they still do have the king you know Tomlin is still the king and Cersei is acting as hand of the king more or less right now so you do have you do have that going for them but they are constantly in danger now in a way that they weren't before when Tywin was around. So I, I wonder if we're beginning to see the unraveling of, of Jamie Lannister. That's actually quite a good interpretation there. I didn't actually consider it in that fashion, but you can raise a really good point there. The fact that Jamie Lannister has seemingly performed these virtuous deeds and yet they've ended up ending in really inauspicious ways yeah. that it 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 couldn't have really gone any worse it's, it's <laughs> yeah. almost as though all of his good deeds have been thrown back in his face and 
you could look at that from a, two different perspectives in a way and think, okay, well, this is in a way karma for everything that I've done in the past. Yeah. And you know, finally getting payback here. Or you could say to yourself, well, I tried that. It hasn't worked. I'm going to. I'm going to go and, and focus on my previous ambitions of glory and and um, fortune and relationship with Cersei. And I, 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 I hope that's not necessarily how it follows because I, I feel a lot more empathy towards his character, particularly after he revealed, he revealed his story about having to stab the Mad King in the back. Yeah. He, he, he has been through a, a rough time. But... At the same time, um, the the trajectory of Jamie Lannister's story certainly could fall in that direction, and you can see the the arrogance is, I think, a little bit is beginning beginning to come back, you know, or at least with Bronn, it would seem, you know, he's saying, "Oh yeah, I won't bother, you know, digging graves or you know helping out if I can't." I mean, partly because of his hand, but. He seems a lot more callous than he has been in the past, anyway. Well, but he, anyway, he seems he also seems a lot more careful than he has been in the past. I mean, you know, he's he is saying well, we have to bury the bodies because bodies bodies raise questions, questions raise armies, and, and so he does he does say that, which is not something. I mean, in season one, he fought Ned Stark in the middle of the streets and was able to you know more or less get away with it. Now we have to we see him in this kind of position where he really is much less powerful than he's ever been. You know, you, you do kind of wonder if he, if he sees this, this whole journey that he's been on as, you know, just kind of him losing all of his power. And perhaps that's part of the reason why he's doing this. I also think that he is just trying to get back into Cersei's good books because he really has wronged her a lot in the last few seasons. You know, you look at where they are in season one, they're constantly together. Um, and then, you know, he kind of disappeared off at a certain point and didn't come back, didn't come back, didn't come back. And then when he came back, he was broken and, and defeated and, and not the person she remembered. And then again, he raped her. Not good. Uh, and, and then he released Tyrion, who is really Cersei's, you know, most hated person, who killed their father which was the source of a lot of their power so he's really not in her good books right now and i wonder if that more than even necessarily the glory is what's driving him right now because you know he's saying it has to be me it has to be me um going to do this and he's really he's leading a, a covert operation he's not really you know he's not leading the Lannister army into battle or the, the King's army into battle for glory or, or anything. He's really just doing this very small personal mission. You know, it's, it's not a huge battle. I, I think really more than anything right now, he's, he's trying to get back into Cersei's good books. And uh, perhaps he thinks that doing that will gain him some level of glory because she is, you know, hand of the King kind of sort of at this moment. So we'll see how this plays out over the next next season because it it is you know his story is has gone from you know being being the villain to being one of the more interesting characters in in season three especially and and now then back in season four he was kind of he's kind of in the background a little bit you know because of the whole losing his hand thing and now he's he's back in the forefront as a as a pretty interesting character again and I, I'm I'm 
I'm looking forward to seeing how his story plays out. But let's 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 go to the wall here. Let's talk about what we see at the wall, and let's start with Stannis Baratheon and his his scene with his daughter with Shireen, because this is you know finally we see Stannis's soft side. We we finally see this. Um, why do you think we're finally seeing this now? Why is this something that? What is it about this moment? Do you think that brings out this 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 side of Stannis? Well, it's the certainly emotional side. Yeah. When she asks him the question, "Are you ashamed of me?" I mean, that's quite yeah. a damning statement. I mean, it, it if you had a, a family member or someone who you really closely connected with to ask you that question, it's going to hit you hard. Mm-hmm. And. What we see with Stannis is that on the outside, he's quite a introverted and reticent figure. He's not one to really express his true emotions, and he can seem quite cold in the social vibe. Mm-hmm. But he does he does care for her a lot, and he and in the background, he's always been standing up for her, particularly when he's in discussions with her with her mother, mm-hmm. and she is so quick to vilify berate her yeah really blaming her for everything that's gone wrong Mm -hmm. in stannis's life yeah really she says you know oh oh, i'm sorry that i couldn't give you a son and i had to give you this deformed child Mm -hmm. jump in there sorry yeah i I was just gonna gonna say really she's the one that should be asked are you ashamed of your child i mean she's the one that's like you said she's been putting her putting her down but what, what i'll say is what i really liked about this scene is that we we do see that there is this this softer side to Stannis, the side that because you know he is very cold, and we haven't really seen him interacting with any female characters outside of his wife and outside of uh, Melisandre, and so you get the sense that he had really been surrounding himself with with you know men and, and warriors, and in this moment we do get to see this softer side of him, the side that you know he does have this this respect and this love for his daughter, and to me that ex- explains why uh, I think Littlefinger, and we'll get into Littlefinger and Sansa in just a second, believes that uh, Stannis would make Sansa wardeness of the North. Because, you know, upon watching this the first time, I I was sort of like, why would he do that? That doesn't really seem in his character. But watching the episode again, watching it the second time, I I was sort of like, okay, so I I see we can connect this to that, and and maybe that will show how, how Stannis could conceive of of giving sansa control of winterfell because maybe she'll remind him of his of his daughter and he has this this love and respect for his daughter and perhaps he he, he, unlike a lot of the men in westeros has that love and respect for all women yeah it's it's certainly a possibility but what i also think this scene is demonstrating is not just stannis's demeanor and and what could possibly happen with him and Sansa when he plans to invade Winterfell, but also Shireen as a character. Yeah. I mean, I think that we've seen enough on-screen time of Shireen to really showcase, or at least in my mind, vindicate the idea she's going to play a very, very significant role in the future. And one of the lines he does say is that you are Princess Shireen of House Baratheon. So technically, if Stannis was to bite the dust, Shireen would become queen. No? 
Yeah, I, I, I think so. I don't think there are. Or any... Queen of the House Baratheon because house, he has yeah. those sons. Yeah, there don't seem to be any, uh, any other. No uh, male heirs. Yeah, at least not. Which, that which we... would make her a very important character then, in the same way that Sansa Stark, because she's the eldest Stark member, yeah. is now. I think, I think it was one of the small council members that said something akin to the fact that she was going to be key, she would be the key to the North. Yeah, that's what Sansa was representative of. In the same way that Shireen could later become the key of Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's. Again, this could be a long way down in the future, but why bring her to the Night's Watch? Why bring her to the Wall? It's a good point. Melisandre sees something in her, mm-hmm. and it seems like no one else really does. And it's those type of characters that seem to blossom in this particular series, I have to say. So I would not be surprised to see her have a pivotal role. Mm-hmm. As the younger generation across Westeros, really, is just starting ever so slowly to gain a significant role in the series. Well, because they're, they're all still alive. I mean, a lot of the, old, the older generation is dying off. I mean, well, even exactly. this episode, we see Sir, Sir Barristan Selmy bite the dust. I mean, last at the end of last season was the death of Tywin. We've seen the death of Robert and and and, and Ned and even Rob Stark and and, and all of these characters and, and, and uh, Catelyn Stark. These all of these characters that rep, are representative representative of the old guard are are slowly being killed off. In replacement of a new order, or whatever yeah. that could be. Well, yeah, the only the only be. the only Starks that are still alive are are Bran, Arya, and Sansa, and, and and John, I guess. And they they were you know they were the young ones. They were the in you go back to season one. They were the. Don't forget, there's still another Stark alive. Oh, the one that was with Bran until oh, they left that's right. season three. <laughs> that's right. I can't remember his name. I apologize, but I'm sure someone can email us that. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since he's been on screen. For goodness, that's right. Yeah, and it'll be a while. I'll bet it's a while till we see him again. But yeah, that's right. There are there are. But yeah, these were you know these are all the kid yeah, actors. But they're the younger ones, aren't they? Yeah, they're, sure. the, they're the kid actors who are you know even the actors are growing up, so they are taking over the uh, the the scene. Uh, so, so okay, I'll, I'll ask you the question. What do you think is going to be significant about Shireen's character? Do you think that she will play a significant role in this season or later down the line? Well, I, I think I, I think you hit the, hit the nail on the head there when you uh, when you mentioned uh, the fact that you know, much like Sansa being the key to the North, she could be the key to uh, key to Dragonstone. Because I I think Stannis is dead at the end of this season. I think this is the end of his storyline, and I, I don't expect we'll be seeing much, much more of him a- after this season, um, because I, I suspect he'll he'll take Winterfell, and that will be it. And then she will have to ascend to take over his his role. And you know they we we go back to season two, and Renly is telling um, Catelyn that you know it was Ned Stark. And uh, and Robert Baratheon's friendship that kept the realm together. Well, maybe we pass that on, and maybe it's Sansa Stark and Shireen that are are keeping the realm together. And perhaps they perhaps they work with, perhaps you know through through uh, through some connection that uh, Bran or Jon may have to Daenerys. Maybe it's sort of this combination of Targaryen, Baratheon, and Stark that winds up being the you know the new rulers of westeros and perhaps you throw in a little lannister with with Tyrion there i, I that was pun completely unintended with little lannister <laughs> sorry 
Sorry. But that, 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 that's kind of where I see it going. Um, and uh, it really is, is what you just said there that really sort of made it all click for me. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? Where do you, where do you think, see her going? Uh, well, um, I'll echo your thoughts then. <laughs> I, I think that Shireen's character is going to play a, a pivotal role at the end of this season. And whether, as you said, it could be as a result of her father's death, which puts her into that position, uh-huh. or something else. Um well, Whatever happens, I think that this Battle of Winterfell is going to be huge. It's really going to alter or cement, in some cases, the landscape of the North. Yeah, actually, I, I, I don't think it will it will cement anything. I think whatever happens in this battle, it's going to be a drastic change. Yeah, because as, as we'll later get onto with Sansa and Littlefinger, I I can see or, or can't really envision the Boltons. Cementing their place in the north now. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just. I going, can't see it. I can't see it. Yeah. Well, I I have to say, you know, we you're just talking about, you know, they've, the the families coming together here through the, you know, the the children, and and that to me is is really where I see this series going because Game of Thrones really is, uh, in a lot of ways, a metaphor for what is going on right now in the uh, in you know modern politics. And we're, what we're seeing is a lot of partisan politics and people not wanting to work together. And we're seeing that, seeing that represented through the houses in, uh, in Westeros. And mm-hmm. I think what we're going to see and, what, and how the series is going to end, and this is where, just how I see the series going, is it's going to be a bunch of different houses coming together to build something new. And I think that's where all of these and, – and again, it's you know, because it's metaphor for – our world it's going to be you know this younger generation replacing the old generation learning from the flaws of the older generation and and changing things and i i think uh you 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 really helped me helped it all click together for me there with with the whole shireen thing and i think she's going to be huge in in this i think sansa's going to be huge in this i think danny's going to be huge in this i think uh bran and john and who knows maybe someone from the tyrells as well and, and who knows maybe someone from from the Martells, you know, from all of these, all of these houses, and there's, there's all this, there are these younger generations that are perhaps going to have to come together to fix everything, fix the problems that Jamie and Cersei and Ned and Robert and, and Aegon and all of these people of the past left them with. And, and that's where I see the whole series going. That's sort of my prediction is that all of these younger characters are going to eventually come together and, and change everything that and and that's how the series will end it won't necessarily be one house victorious it will be um for lack of a better term a coalition of houses victorious so we'll we'll but we'll see we'll see that's 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 season seven stuff we'll get there we'll get there in time we'll get there in time uh but let's let's i, I want to talk a little bit about Jon snow and we because we see him being uh we see melisandre seduce him and he turns turns her down you know he 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 sends her away because he's still uh in love with egret even though she's dead and melisandre utters the phrase you know nothing john snow do you think there's any larger significance to that or was that just a kind of a coincidence that both characters would use that phrase or because we know we, we know that melisandre has these bizarre or, or claims she has these powers well we've seen them we saw the the, the ghost baby the demon baby so she has these powers. 
is is there a larger significance to her using that phrase or is it just sort of a, a, a coincidence that she uses it and it, you know, creates this callback for John? Oh, no, there's a larger significance to it. <laughs> what and is that, it? And <laughs> doesn't do anything off the cuff. Yeah. Uh, it, it's one of those lines, the first time you hear it, seems a little bit out of context because you don't expect Melisandre to say that line. Mm-hmm. And to the casual viewer, you'd think, oh, they just replicated the, you know, nothing Jon Snow line because it's quite iconic. Well, I disagree with that. I imagine, at least in my mind, that some that, that she because she says she senses great potential in John, and she sees visions in the fire. I mean, it's interesting that she would use that line as a callback because that's the line that Egret used to John, who was someone that John really loved. Mm-hmm. In a way, it, it kind of spooked John. Yeah, and I think it was intended to as well. You see, when she leaves, she grimaces and and, and seems quite pleased with herself. And it's just a way, I think, of getting inside her head. In a way, I think Lady Melisandre kind of represents this female satanic character hmm. in Game of Thrones, where she's been around seducing you know, pretty much every male that she almost comes in contact with. <laughs> and when they give in to her or they bow to her wishes, then something usually quite torturous happens to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at that priest at the beginning, gave her the cup to drink, he drank it, he died. Yep. Um, obviously, with Stannis, they, you know, she became pregnant and released a demon baby that killed her child, that uh, killed his brother. Yep. And I'm sure that, the, you know, he's been, been worn down a lot by this woman and I think eventually it's going to come back to bite him in the, in the backside, really. I'm not sure how or what, but... Yeah, Lady Melisandre, and again, again with Gendry. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many instances that whenever Lady Melisandre's around someone or she enters a scene, there's always a little bit of. Uh, so are you I, I, are you predicting yeah. doom for Jon Snow? Well, no, I'm not because he rejected ah. the advancements. You see, ah. had he given in, then I would have been very concerned. Yeah, but you see, Jon Snow is a very honourable character. He, yes. he takes up a lot of characteristics, the same as his father. And I couldn't imagine Ned Stark doing anything like that. And as as and, as could uh, and, 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 and same actually, same thing goes for for Stannis. He says as much. You know, yeah, but also. I, I stick to my guns that Ed, Ned is as honourable as we've seen him in season one. So much so that I'm not sure Jon Snow's his child. No, no, I, I, I don't think, I don't think that's that's the case either. And I, I don't think, I, I think a lot of fans assume that, and I, and we get some some strong hints at that in this episode. You know, um, Stannis and his wife are talking about Jon, and and his wife makes the comment that you know he's he was born of some tavern girl and uh and stannis says maybe but that wasn't ned stark's style so clearly stannis thinks there's more going on here than what's going on and when we get to and we get you know uh littlefinger telling sansa about really kind of one of those events that really kicked off the war and and robert's rebellion against the targaryens where you know uh rhaegar targaryen took uh you know when he won the when he won the joust against uh sir barristan he went and uh 
he went and gave uh, the crown of, of, of winter roses to uh, Lyanna Stark instead of his wife, Elia Martell. So, again, hit, and we know that that uh, he would then go on to kidnap her and rape her. And it's been suggested that Jon Snow is the child of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark. And that the reason Ned Stark has her is that he or has him is he took uh, he took John uh, when when Lyanna was killed. And from there, you then uh, sorry. And from there, presented him as his own bastard to keep him safe. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's, I, there's I, a lot I, of I evidence. So. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that that is the case. And and there's some great some great YouTube videos that really lay it out, especially with uh, with evidence from that first book. So, sorry, you were about uh, to say something. I didn't want to cut you off there. Oh no no no. Well, I, uh, it's interesting you say that. I think the tidbits that have been released in this episode or the the hints, as yeah. it were, have become even more obvious, and it's really the story from Littlefinger that cemented, in my mind, that that is the distinct possibility. Yeah, because the question the is emphasis, the emphasis on the Targaryens and that story earlier. I mean, it could just have been a history anecdote mm-hmm. or a tale to tell to Sansa, but you see a Game of Thrones. Lines aren't usually just thrown away. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I was very absorbed in that story as well. And it was interesting to really think, hmm, it's it's a distinct possibility. Yeah. And I, I it's beginning to unravel and and reveal itself. Well, the question well, is, But though, what is also interesting about that is that technically, if that is true, mm-hmm. it's not just a Stark, but he's part Targaryen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which, you know, could lead to some kind of some kind of alliance between the two if they have some shared or uh, between him and and, and Daenerys you know if they have more importantly some power over her dragons yeah absolutely absolutely but but the question is though who is around to tell that story you know Ned Stark is dead he's the one he's really the one who would know for sure if there has to be somebody else what about Maester Aemon Maester Aemon Tygarian Oh, I, oh. I I think he was at the wall long before this happened, or at least before this happened, um, because he, he does tell that story about, you know, the day he was challenged or he faced the decision of whether to stay at the wall or whether to leave was when um, was when when Aegon Targaryen, the Mad King, was killed and he found out, you know, his his family, his family's dynasty was in ruins and, and all that. And that was the one time he had to face the decision of whether he should leave the wall and you know he told that story to john so that suggests to me that this would have happened before he was at the wall or, or, or while he was not, at the wall uh, unless you say that then not too many people would know yeah but then one who is seems to be well ahead of the rest in this game of thrones is Littlefinger. yes he may and he, he he okay he was young he was only a child but i'm sure he may have heard stories. He could have figured it out. That's that's definitely possible. That's definitely possible. I think. Although having said that, I don't think Littlefinger's going to get past this season, personally. No, no. Yeah, and there's there's a line he says. We'll get onto that in a second. That that suggests. Anyway, suggests I, I love we're doing all these predictions now, but it's quite interesting when you look at it, the analysis yeah. of the episode because I feel that actually talking about it has probably made me accept it and actually enjoy this episode a little bit more because <laughs> there is a lot of significance oh, sure. to a lot of these scenes in, in more than you would think about when you just watch it on the surface 
Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, I think so. I think that's, that's, that's a good episode or that's a, that's a, or that's quality writing is when, you know, when you sit down and think about it, it, it gets even better, uh, when it was, when it was good to begin with. But, um, what were we saying? Yeah. I, there, there's per, perhaps there was somebody else that, that found out and, and cause I, even if Littlefinger could puzzle it out, I don't know if anybody would believe him because that's going to be the other thing is, is who is going to believe this? Who could possibly know this unless there's some, this is the other thing. There's some like sealed scroll from Ned Stark hidden away somewhere in Winterfell. Maybe Sansa will find it this season. <laughs> you know, like there's that kind of thing. There's, there's that could always be the ticket, um, to, to, to uncovering what happened. Um, but that was, you know, it, it's still, it's interesting. It raises a lot of, uh, a lot of questions about, you know, yeah, okay, well, we could know that that Jon Snow is really the the child of of Rhaegar and Lyanna, but not, not Ned Stark and some other. But nobody else is going to believe that. Nobody in the story is going to believe that without concrete proof. And and really, I mean, I, I, the, I, the I one person you, you have to convince, I guess, really the one person you would have to convince it would be Danny. And if she would believe you, or believe that this is the case then then there's a chance i think that it could play out well but if she if if you can't convince her then i think john snow is 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 stuck forever as john snow the or ned stark's bastard child i think you've hit on something there actually which is which is quite interesting your idea about the scroll mm. i could certainly envision that happening because you start looking around and we're talking about the older characters being killed off. A lot of them have done now. But on top of that, who else would actually know other than Ned Stark? Robert well, Raffian certainly yeah. didn't know. From, and from Robert the... Raffian's his closest friend. Uh, but yeah. no, about um, if, if this is... I mean, get, get, let's just say here to everyone who's listening, we are speculating. We've got no idea whether this is the case, but it seems as though it's being hinted at yeah. in these episodes. Well, one, one little if thing. If this is the case... One, one thing I want to bring up real quick. Is as again, uh, this this seems this comes from from the books. This is from, and this is not from me having read them. This is me f- from having watched a, a really good YouTube YouTube video outlining this. Oh, has it? Has it spoiled and, it? No, no, it hasn't spoiled it. No, no, not at all. It it's suggested, or it's it's told there that in the books that there was somebody else there, and that character is, is somebody that has been absent pretty much. Um, from from this point on or from that from that point on in in the books in the series and and we don't know and so perhaps that person is still out there but i kind of like i i like the the scroll idea almost better you know ned stark's final legacy because ned stark you know the last thing he said to Jon snow is the next time we see each other i'll I'll tell you who your mother is and and, and so be interesting the next thing he, he he read was something by ned stark yeah well, yeah, that's that's the thing, you know. I I think you know Ned Stark said he's he's not afraid to die, and and even though I don't think he believed he was going to die when he left for King's Landing, perhaps at some point in his life he thought, you know what, I, I should have a backup plan. I should have some kind of security in place for if um, if Jon Snow should ever, you know, or if should I die, then Jon Snow can find out the truth if he wants to know it and perhaps this was one place it, this kind of thing again we're totally getting off into, into speculation and and stuff that could be have no basis in reality but perhaps there's some clue or perhaps there's something hidden at Leanna, atlanta's grave and that's why we saw sansa down there hmm. yeah it's interesting I, they could well be um well because ned stark i remember in that first episode 
when they were discuss- talking with Robert Baratheon and he sees the statue for the first time and mm-hmm. he, he says she should be by my side, not here. And and then says no, she belongs to uh, you know, with the rest of the family down here in Winterfell. Yeah, maybe there is some something else linked onto that statue. Yeah, I, I, th- I that that could be a a place that could have some significance, whether. You know, Sansa finds it, or perhaps Stannis and 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 Melisandre and and Sir Davos will eventually convince Jon to come with them to Winterfell. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. But if he were to go with them to Winterfell, and he wound up down there to pay his respects or or what have you, and he he were to come across that, that could really change his perception of what's going on. But I almost feel like Jon Snow can't be the one to find it because we've seen this season that Jon Snow is too honorable to do anything about it. You know, if he found out he was the son of, of Lyanna Stark and, and Rhaegar Targaryen, he would go, okay, interesting. Well, I'm going to go back and be Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. You almost need somebody else to find it and take it and, and take either, either take it to him or take it to somebody powerful again, possibly Daenerys. And she could do something with it and perhaps convince him ultimately to help her. But, but if we're going to base it on his track record, what's to say he would even accept the title anyway? Exactly, yeah. So uh, you he, know, wouldn't, he wouldn't accept being a Stark, which was something he always dreamed of as a child. And even if legitimizes the fact that he is born and he, you know, he's still he'd be born and bred a Stark, but he'd also be part Targaryen. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. But again, how it, John would react to that? It, it takes me back to this idea of sort of this this coalition of the the young of the next generation from all these families coming together. And I don't think John would would necessarily leave his post as as Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. I think that's where he is going to be. That's that's his his role in life, his lot in life. And um, but we did see Sir Davos, you know, plant the idea in his mind that you know, being the the, the shield that guards the realm doesn't necessarily mean staying at the wall. It could mean going off and, and doing something different. And he may not necessarily go to. Uh, fight in this battle of Winterfell that we assume is is on the horizon, but if he's presented with this uh, with this evidence that he is part of of this bigger bigger thing uh, by various members of this potential coalition, you know, it could be could be Danny and, and Sansa and and Tyrion and, and Shireen, all these all these uh, important people, and they present this to him. Perhaps in that moment, he would think, okay, now it's it's time to change things. Guarding the realm perhaps means putting these people in charge, and so we can we can have peace, and then I can be left up here to, you know, protect the realm from, you know, White Walkers and whatnot when winter does come the next time. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, it's it's, hard, it's so hard to tell now, and I, I I feel like we are going quite far down the line. If I'm being honest, oh yeah, so, absolutely. Um, this is this is this is really this is end game stuff. But that's that's yeah. the thing. We are we are sort of in in the in the point where the end game is is almost in sight. You know, we are beginning season five. The show was expected to go for seven seasons, uh, possibly more. But but you know, we are sort of in that kind of home stretch. Or, or we're approaching the home stretch. You know, you can see the light at the far end of the tunnel, and it's sort of like well, the, yeah, ne- we the to... next interesting factor will be the White Walkers. We still yeah. have not seen enough of them yet. Well, so... we we know what can kill White Walkers, and that's fire. And what do dragons breathe? Fire. I think that the dragons are coming north eventually, and that's what's going to stop that invasion. And that could be that. Perhaps that's that. That's that's the agreement that's struck. That 
you know, Danny will turn her dragons on the White Walkers and then John will help take down, you know, whoever's in power at that point, whether it's uh whether it's 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 still Tomlin or maybe Cersei finds some way to grab all the power or Marjorie finds some way to grab all the power. Well but that's sort of how I see it going. No, I can definitely see that happening. Whatever happens is it's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's going to be fun. All right, let's we we've we've been we've been talking a little bit about this, but let's get into Sansa and Littlefinger here, because we we you know we've we've talked about the whole Stark history, the land of Stark history, but let's let's specifically look at at Sansa and Littlefinger, and um I I think you're right. I think Littlefinger is is done at at the end of this season. I think he's we're we're building towards his death, and I think he had that line. Uh, I have to dig up here in my notes real quick that that really you know anytime somebody says a a great line like this you know they're they're dead uh eventually he says even the most dangerous men can be outmaneuvered and you have learned from the very best so uh, you know he is he said he thinks of himself as the as the best uh best maneuver best maneuverer or 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 uh and now he's suggesting that you know the best can be outmaneuvered and i think he's going to be outmaneuvered at some point here and i you know there is he's helped he's helped sansa a lot but i wouldn't be surprised if sansa is the one that who if not kills him directly it's her actions that result in his death i'm pretty certain it'll be sansa yeah if i'm being honest and well because this, this guy she's learning from Littlefinger, isn't she yeah and I think that what we see is that Sansa's becoming as calculated as he is. Oh, yeah. But the one, I guess, uh, the one factor which I think really pushes Sansa into a more favorable position is the fact that Littlefinger adores her the same way he adored cats yeah well they have that weird kiss there you know yes yeah, it's, it's a little bit creepy really yeah. isn't it, still and that could well be one of the main contributing reasons well the little figure will fall down i mean in the sense that he'll miss something or yeah. he'll trust Sansa too much oh, because he's revealing a lot he's this is the most in terms of plans, at least, he's revealed to anybody else oh, yeah. that we've seen in the series. And we see how cunning and conniving he has been in the past. I mean, he told Lysa Arryn that, but she got killed off, and I'm sure she was going to bite the dust at a certain point as well, <laughs> because she was not not one to really trust, and certainly an unstable character. But Rosanta seems to be more rep- uh, receptive, and I think Littlefinger really sees her as a protege, and later will be a lover yeah of course he looks at her as well as a tool which will help gain him power but there is also affection towards her which i think is one of the weak well one of the weaknesses in his character one of the flaws which will inevitably lead to his downfall and i'm not saying that because they I don't not they don't even have to necessarily consummate or get married or anything like that yeah i just think that the trust and the faith he has in Sansa will be proven false at some point because Sansa's learning now. She's beginning to become a part of this game of Thrones now. She really is playing the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, 
with, with Sansa and Littlefinger, there's something else that's very telling. Uh, earlier in the season, I think it was actually it was either it was either last week or two weeks ago. You know, there was the great line from 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 Littlefinger that was used in the trailers. You know, uh, there's no justice in this world unless we make it. You loved your family, you can avenge them, or avenge them. You know, and really, who was among the first people to do her family wrong? Who betrayed Ned Stark? Who suggested to Ned Stark that he go marching into the throne room with the gold cloaks? Who's the one that paid off the gold cloaks? Littlefinger. I, and so one of the people, I wouldn't be surprised if Sansa is forming her own list, much like Arya's list, of people that have wronged her family and people that she wants to go after. And I would be willing to bet that, well, number one on that list, probably Roose Bolton. Number two, maybe number three on that list could very well be Littlefinger. And she's going to learn as much as she can from him. She's going to learn how to play this game. And we're seeing that. And I'm sure we'll see more of it this season. And once she's learned how to do it, you know, she'll she'll drive a dagger through his heart, both literally and figuratively. Well, do you imagine that she genuinely knows Littlefinger was one of the main perpetrators I don't know if she knows that for sure, but what, she, I, mean, when I, mean, she, I mean, at this point, at this point, I no. can certainly see that being something revealed later on. Okay. And what's going to be interesting as well that would be that I can't wait to see unearthed is what Cersei wants Littlefinger for, mm-hmm. because you've got the letter. She wants Littlefinger to return imminently. For what purpose and what end? Yeah, I, I, personally, I'm sure he'll get out of King's Landing. I, I have, I'd have no fear about that. And I also think that he's going to meet up with the Tyrells at some point before he heads back to Winterfell. Um, I'm just not sure where this interaction with Queen Cersei or the Queen Mother, as she's called now, is really going to lead. I mean, was, do you have any speculation on? I, I don't know. I, I think Cersei is is trying to to sow chaos in the street. I almost think she's, I think what she's trying to do is, is perhaps uh, undermine the Tyrells and, and put them in a place. You know, she sent um, the master of coin, the, the father Mance Tyrell away. And so, and she's had, and she's given um, the, the high sparrow, his, his army of, of religious uh, fanatics to arrest uh, Loris, Loris Ty- Tyrell. And she's, kind of creating this wedge between Tomlin and and Marjorie uh, quite probably I would say to eventually you know have him turn against Marjorie or have Marjorie turn against him and you know really for her to get rid of the Tyrells and so I, I think that's what she's doing and I think bringing Littlefinger back is, is just another piece in, in creating some chaos for her and because and, that's what she seems to be doing right now is she's almost trying to undermine her son as king right now which is seems backwards, but when you look at it from her perspective, when she undermines Tomlin, she can pin a lot of that blame, perhaps, on Marjorie, which would then create problems with the Tyrells, which is then more chaos and could eventually wind up with them being thrown out and her having complete control of Tomlin again, which is what, which is what she always wanted. What you could say is that Cersei's actions inadvertently could lead to the downfall of Tomlin, though, if oh, yeah, his absolutely. rule is continuously undercut oh, by yeah, these absolutely. militia zealots. Well, she's looking at this. 
she's she's this is her from her perspective that's what's going on but we see in this episode when tomlin goes to to try and speak with the high sparrow outside the septum there are people yelling at him you know he's, he's a bastard he's he's born of sin he's all all of these yes. things and isn't that such a good like i'm glad you highlighted yeah. that because i didn't catch it the first time but i did the second time yeah he's still a lannister technically yeah. Now, what if that information was to get out? Because we see, although the Tyrells, there's a wedge going in between them, Marjorie says, right, I need to call my grandmother down. And we know that oh, yeah. if <laughs> when Elena arrives, this, that's when shit gets real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But well, we've already seen the conniving nature of her because she oh, was yeah. the one who engineered the death of Joffrey. Oh, for sure. No, I, and I think what we're, we're seeing there is that the people – if if there is such a if Cersei is creating this, she's she's kind of blinded to the fact that everybody knows, or every, there's a lot of people know and believe or believe at the very least, um, accurately that Tomlin is you know was born of incest. He's and yes, and but if that is the case, we see already that these fanatics seem to be quite. Oh yeah, well they're targeting. Um, okay. well, they're definitely against anything that they class as a sin, which is of course. It seems in this one, um, so if we're going to base it on Christian values, I guess I'm not necessarily sure what exactly the values are that they believe yeah. in because they've sort of just come onto the scene. But they seem to be against, like, obviously, homosexuality, drinking, uh, alcohol, that is. Yeah. And, um, well, definitely the prostitution institution, yeah. which I could also assume would mean sex before marriage. Mm. And I, I'm sure incest would probably be quite high up on that list as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I-, I think that's 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 very likely. I think um, what we're seeing I- is that you know, again, Cersei is tr- is trying to build this this situation up because she believes it will help her get rid of the Tyrells. I think that she's creating all this chaos, and the people are going to blame it because and there because there is this kind of rise in in religious fanaticism in in a uh, King's Landing there Th- that. People aren't going to blame Marjorie Tyrell. They're not going to blame the Tyrells. They're not going to blame the Queen. They're going to blame this child who was born of sin. They're going to say this is the gods punishing them, and they're going to turn against Tomlin, and they're going to turn against Cersei, and that will include the um, what are they called the the religious uh, religious no the militant the militant uh, yeah that's what they call the militant aspect there. So I, I, yeah, so I, I think that's what we're what we're building towards is that you know Cersei's trying to play this game. But she's blind to this fact that everybody knows this, and you know she said you know let the let the people think what they want, and you know she's really she's trying to do what Tywin says, and we have that in our, our intro. You know the lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of the sheep. Well, what we're going to see here is that well the lion really should the lion really should con- concern themselves with the the opinions of the sheep right now because it is going to come back and bite them in the ass. Yeah. Exactly. Now, what did you make of the whole um, Loras Tyrell moment there? Obviously, he's been imprisoned yeah. by these fanatics, including Lancel Lannister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say what, well, a little bit of self mutilation never goes amiss, does it really? Oh, Game of yes. Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> he, he looks like a crazed dude now, doesn't he, to say the <laughs> least? I mean, he, compare him to that snivelly, timid, uh, submissive figure we saw in season one. Now oh, he's leading yeah. his group of fanatics, and he looks completely brainwashed now, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, he really, really does. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, well, I think again that was the the imprisoning of, of Loras Tyrell by the by the Faith Militant. There, I, I think that was again part of Cersei's game. She's trying to create this wedge between 
Marjorie and Tomlin. And clearly, uh, you know, clearly Marjorie cares a lot for her brother. We see that in these episodes. She was very angry when she found out he was arrested. And we, we see that wedge begin to be formed between them as a result. So Cer- Cersei is gaining success and she's gaining, she's going to gain a certain level of success and she's going to be blinded by that success, I believe. Well, um, and she will gain initial success. Yeah. In the long term, how sustainable will her successes be is certainly um, yeah. v- another matter. Yeah, no. I, and again, this is this is speculation. This is not based. We haven't read the books. So it's not based on, on anything like that. But this is this is from from what I can from what we read into this story. This is what where we think things are going with her is that she's going to she's trying very she's trying desperately hard to get to gain the power that she's always she's always wanted i mean that was for her the becoming queen was to you know so that she could eventually um be the mother of the new king and she believed she would be able to control that king from behind the scenes obviously that didn't work with joffrey because joffrey is was well he was joffrey and uh with with tomlin it's a situation where he uh you know he doesn't you know he's he's kind of being pulled in in multiple directions because there's this other force there's marjorie tyrell and the tyrells that are equally interested in power that are also trying to control the king and so that's what we're seeing here and uh well we'll see how it plays out this season Um, and another thing i'll also say Lee todd's uh we were talking about littlefinger a little bit earlier he's going down to king's landing of course, we can remember one of his iconic phrases that chaos isn't a pit, chaos is a ladder. Yeah. So you wonder whether Littlefinger might use anything that's going on in King's Landing to his own advantage? Possibly. Opportunistic moment? Possibly, but I, I don't know. I don't know if, if, if Littlefinger has any real uh, objectives left in King's Landing. You know, it, it seems his, his objectives have moved uh, far beyond King's Landing. He is, he's gotten everything he can get out of King's Landing, and right now he's just trying to maintain what he's gotten there by going back to see Cersei. And he's well, you going could argue to... he's already winning from the chaos because of what he's doing up in the north. Yeah, he's got well, that... the Eerie, he's building alliances, and I guess this is just cementing this notion in King... that in King's Landing, chaos is brewing. It provides opportunity and, and openings for other characters to take center stage. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think yeah, Littlefinger is he, he he did what he could in King's Landing, and it put him in a position, the position that we have now. Again, like you said, through chaos, where he has all this power outside, and going back to King's Landing is not so much to gain more power there because I don't think he, he can't he has anything left to gain from there. It's just to cement and secure that or to make sure he doesn't lose this power that he's established and because if he loses the power in king's landing then everything else starts to crumble around him and 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 yeah you're right you're right on that absolutely or at least i agree i I think (laughs) we think that's what's going on uh don't know for sure um let's let's speaking of queens let's talk about what goes on in marine in this episode we see uh we see danny well first she gets a little bit of a an interesting uh, anecdote about Rhaegar Targaryen. This was really interesting because we really saw the two sides of Rhaegar Targaryen uh, presented in these episodes. You know, we heard about his, you know, not so nice side with, you know, kidnapping Lyanna and raping her and, 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 and all that. And then we hear about this kind of nice side that, that Sir Barristan Selmy was was uh was aware of where he would go out and sing and he would make money and then he would give the money away. 
And so we're, we're really being painted this interesting picture about this guy of, you know, he had some really horrible tendencies, but he also had some really nice ones. And, and do you think we're supposed to be able to draw some comparisons between him and uh, either, either Danny or, or John that exists right now of some of these nicer qualities? Quite possibly. It's interesting how he's been brought up a number of times in this episode, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And and what effect is that going to have on the development of the current characters that we are contemplating in this story? In terms of the characteristics of Rhaegar Targaryen and how this compares with Daenerys and Jon, there are certainly distinct similarities. We could talk about Daenerys being quite charitable um, and obviously freeing the slaves... Mm-hmm. speaking out with the people. She's, she's been amongst the people. We saw that at the end of season three when she walked into... Um, it, it wasn't Marine, but it was it was another city um, in season three that was being owned by the slave masters. I apologise, the name has escaped me. But the point was that you could see the characteristics there of her being very, very charitable. Right. Have we seen like, the idea of kidnapping and and raping not so much from either John or no. Danny, but what it not but what that could entail therefore is that this doesn't necessarily suggest a complete parallel to where the characters are now, but rather could act as a symbol of foreshadow for what could come about in the future. That there yeah. could be that tendency, that wrath and malign nature. Well, could I, come about. I, I, you know, I mean, it'd be interesting to see after the events of this episode in Marine what Danny's reaction will be. For example, mm-hmm. well, I see. I don't think um, what we're what we're seeing here is is any sort of suggestion that either either of them will turn out to be um, to be like his his bad characteristics. I think what's being suggested is, you know, even though this guy was was clearly a bad person, he had some some good tendencies. And and keep in mind, he would only be uh, Danny's uncle. Yeah, he wouldn't be her her father, and he would only the only one who he would be directly directly related to would be John. Again, assuming R plus L equals J. Uh, so we're we're kind of I think what we're being meant to see is that there were some some good qualities to this, and that's why you know a, a Targaryen rule assisted by the Starks and 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 the, these kinds of things wouldn't necessarily be all bad. We wouldn't just be faced with the Mad King all over again, and I think. You know, this season we are starting to see Danny learn a little bit more about what her family was really like. We she learned about the Mad King um, in a previous episode, a- and so now we're we're kind of seeing her, you know, take in these these various sides of her family. And I think as the audience, it's meant to suggest to us that yeah, there were there were some bad Targaryens, but there is a reason that people like Varys and and others were trying to reinstate a Targaryen uh, dynasty. That you know, there was a reason that you know. They felt that the Targaryens were a better fit to rule than Robert Baratheon, that there was some sense, there was some good to them. Um, you know, grant, granted, as the years went on, they became more and more problematic. They became worse people. But to begin with, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to write them all off, that there is sort of this, there is a good side to them that can be brought out in people like, like Danny, and that that is why they would be a better fit to rule than the people we're seeing or we've seen ruling Westeros over the past 
five seasons. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's let's get into the the, the kind of the end of the episode and, and the attack by the sons of the harpy. And so we see this again. We see another brutal, brutal attack, and uh, we see Sir Barris, Sir and Selmy go out to fight them along with with Grey Worm and the other Unsullied. And you know he he fights them off, but he he goes down. Uh, what, what was your reaction when you saw him go down? I know you predicted it last time, uh, but w- were you uh, were you mad that your prediction was right, or is he one that you were ready to to see go? I like Sir Barristan. I think he was a wise character, a good mentor, and he seemed like a truly honourable figurehead as well. Seems like they're they're clearly a rare breed in Westeros, but I could see a lot of comparative qualities between himself and Ned Stark, for example. And then Stark said as much to him. He said, Sir Barristan, I could never, um, I can't remember exactly what the line was, but something akin to, you know, I can never doubt your honour. And we see that really throughout his time. He goes back to find Danny after he's been really expelled by the Lannisters in such a crude manner. Mm-hmm. And although, you know, it's a shame that he has gone right now. He at least went with some dignity. I was quite glad about that. Oh, yeah. He went out fighting and he battered them, let's be honest. He absolutely battered. I mean, there was like 15 or 20 of them. I think he must have killed all but two or one. (laughs) Um, Just one one man. And he looks pretty old, but he still could move and fight like he was, I don't know, 20 or something. It, it It was incredible to watch. So I was quite glad in that perspective to actually see Sabaris that actually get into the get out get out there fighting so to speak. Yeah, but at the same time he will be missed. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um it's it's one of those things where um you, you know with 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 Danny we've seen her have this this really great support group, especially through season two and, and season three uh of 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 Sir Barristan and Dario Naharis and um and Jora. And then you know we even at the beginning of this season we added a few with the with the slave who was killed and 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 the the guy who was who was constantly trying to get the the fighting pits brought back what's his name uh, uh Hazir Zolorak you know we're seeing these you know this this kind of this council almost a small council that she's built up around herself and we're seeing it basically be torn apart you know it ended you know last season ended with Jorah being sent away now we've seen Sir Barristan killed uh she had to execute the other guy um two weeks ago so we, we've really uh she's really lost her support system so it will be really interesting to see how she reacts to Jorah showing up again and, and if he's ever able to um you know convince her to to let him come back but the other thing is part of the the hero's journey has always been the hero has to witness or the hero's mentor has to has to go away, has to die, basically. And the hero is then left on their own. And, you know, the classic example of this is in, in the original Star Wars film when Obi-Wan Kenobi sacrifices himself. That is, you know, a, a pivotal moment in Luke's growth in that film and, well, his, his entire journey. And, and so th- perhaps that's beginning – what we're beginning to see here is that, um, you know, Danny is seeing her, her support group kind of fall apart and that's a bit of what we were going on. Now, granted, you could argue that to an extent, uh, the death of Khal Drogo was kind of that moment for her back at the uh, beginning of season one when that kind of made her reinvent herself. But I would, I would argue that was more of a, a moment where she had to reinvent herself. And now she's been able to build up all of these, these great things with all of this support. And now we're going to have to see her begin to exist without that support or perhaps build up a new support 
uh, network, you know, basically from scratch, not just the people that happened to be there with her at the right time. And now, now that she is in power, perhaps she needs people who can support her that are used to being in power, not used to fighting for power, which is kind of what we saw with, with, I mean, Sir Barristan was, was kind of the exception to that, but you know, Jorah was, was there with her from the beginning fighting for power. And now, you know, it, it kind of opens the door for someone like Tyrion, who is who has been through all sorts of things of having power and not having power, where he could come in and, and step in as a as some kind of advisor, who you know is used to having power, uh, uh, unlike some of the other people who she's been working with, and so he actually knows how the game is played, and he can kind of show her the ropes so that she can break the game. You know, like she says in the trailer, you know, I don't want to, uh, don't want to. Uh, join the wheel i want to break the wheel isn't that the is that the line or i don't want to stop the wheel i want to break the wheel something something along that yeah so it's something along that line she wants to completely change how things are done and so in order to do that she's going to need somebody who really knows how things are done and in order for her to be able to take on somebody you kind of have to open up a place in in her sis in her support system and and i think that is the reason that we had to see sir barristan go and I really liked his character. I'm, I'm, I was sad to see him go. I was, I was <laughs> mad that you were wrong. I mean, if you go back and you listened last week, I was, you brought up that idea, and I was like, no, 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 that can't happen. That, that don't do that. Don't do that. And of course, well, he met his his, his noble end this week. And uh, well, I think that's more or less it. I mean, uh, the Tyrion and, and Jorah stuff was was it was it was some some funny lines and an interesting moment. But really, I feel like that was more setting up what's going to happen next week. And and same thing with the, the bit with the sand snake. So unless there's anything about that or anything that I've missed here that you'd like to bring up, I think we can uh, move on to our favorite quotes. No, I mean, we've, we've gone over everything in, in very good detail. All right. Well, let's, let's jump into the, our favorite quotes. This is the part of the show that we've, we've kind of uh, let slide for the last few weeks, but we're, it's time to bring it back as where we highlight some of the great writing in the series and some of the, uh, some of the really, uh, some of the really fun lines or, or, or epic lines or, or what have you. Just moments that stood out to us in the episodes uh, and, and share some of our favorite quotes. So I'll throw it over to you first. Uh, what would you say is one of your favorite quotes from Sons of the Harpy? Okay, I've, I've only chosen a one this time. Okay, okay. And I've gone for the Stannis Shireen moment. Oh, good, good, good. Which is probably what you might have gone for when no, he no, says... No, don't worry. He's talking about the story and he gets to the end of it. He says, I... And they they told me to send you away, blah blah blah. I I told them all to go to hell. You don't belong with the stone men. You are Princess Shireen of the House Baratheon. You are my daughter. That was such a good moment, such a great line, and fantastically executed by Stephen Delane, and I and the character of Shireen or the actress who played Shireen. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. A really yeah, a powerful moment. For me, I went with a with a funny line, and it's a it's a Tyrion line uh, when he's finally uh, when when Jorah finally um, unties him, I guess we'll say, and you know he tells him he's taking he's taking Tyrion to see uh, Daenerys, and, and Tyrion says, "What a waste of a good kidnapping." I, I <laughs> thought that was a, a good good funny line. There was also also uh, also highlight a, a, a another uh, a humorous line from from Daenerys uh, Targaryen when she. Uh, so he suggests that uh, that Sir Barristan Selmy might come with her and, and Dario to uh, to the to the meeting with uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, 
Hisdar his Zolarak and uh, Dario says, I, I think I can protect you from Hisdar Zolarak. And, and, and Danny says, I think I could protect me from Hisdar Zolarak. Again, suggesting that that guy, not the most, uh, not the most powerful, powerful dude in. Well, Marian. actually, I did like this line as well from oh. that Tyrion scene mm-hmm. when he first, um, that mouthpiece is released from him or whatever it is to tie up his mouth. Um, and he says, who are you? And then Jorah doesn't tell him. And then he goes and says, do you have any wine? <laughs> <laughs> First thing on his mind, I want wine. Give me some red wine. A very Tyrion moment. All right. So that is going to wrap things up for this week. Before we go, it is time for final thoughts and score out of 10. So I'll throw it over to you, Kieran, for your final thoughts and score out of 10 for Sons of the Harpy. Final thoughts and score out of 10. This was, this episode through this discussion has become a lot more enjoyable and entertaining <laughs> in my mind than it was when I initially watched the, the episode. There was some really good character development still. Uh, I still think it's building. It's building to something greater, the storylines here. And yeah. I'm hoping that next week we could start to see a little bit of a payoff. It was really sad to see Sebastian Selmy go. Um, his character, I thought, was incredibly intriguing. Quite complex as well, working with the Lannisters, then switching sides to the Targaryens. But overall, oh, yeah. he was a wise mentor, and as I said before, certainly a virtuous and principled individual. But most importantly, I think the the, the favourite scene, my best scene, the best scene in the episode was the Stannis Shireen moment. I mentioned it before at the beginning. I thought it was fantastically executed, and we talked about what that may well hint in the future. Could Shireen then be the key to the Baratheons if Stannis was to bite the dust? It's it's a lot of interesting conjecture, and I'm sure we'll get some answers soon enough. But once again, it was it's just a typical Game of Thrones episode. It's fantastic, and even even if it doesn't meet I at least my expectations or Dominic's expectations, everybody else's expectations, it's because they've already set the bar very high. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so I'm going to give this score, uh, this episode, a 7 out of 10. Yeah. Dominic, throw it over to you. All right, yeah, I'll echo a lot of what you said. I love the way this episode presents a lot of ideas that I think, or that we think are going to come back in a huge way later on in, in the series or even even in this season. And it, I, I love what the series has done with the character of Sansa in particular. I love that we're really getting to see her presented as, as much more of a threat than she ever was before. She was always, you know, the, the, weepy, the weepy little Stark, and, and now she's really out there. Uh, making a name for herself and and I can't wait to see what we see more of that and uh, I, and looking forward to, to next week and, and w- what that brings as we see the fallout from the end of uh, for, well, from from really everything that went on in this episode and, and uh, as always I cannot wait to, to watch the next episode and of course come back and talk about it here and uh, yeah for this episode I will give it you know what, I'll go uh, I'll go just a, a little bit higher than you I'll give it a seven and a half out of ten I, I really did enjoy it all right, so that'll wrap things up. Kieran, do you want to let the people know what is coming up on Expression FM? All of those, uh, uh, all of the uh, political junkies that are, are listening to the show, I'm sure, are, are very excited for tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow is the general election for Great Britain. It's going to be interesting to find out who the next government will be, who will be chosen to be installed as our new administration. <laughs> so Expression, I've got a lot of coverage to 
obviously broadcast this fact. We have a show from 7 till 11 p.m., which will be discussing some of today's events, how people think the vote's going to be going. Quite a serious new show. But <laughs> then we are going to be doing 1 to 5 a.m., a late-night show, as all the votes begin to trickle in and we find out which government is going to be put in place. That one's going to be a little bit more, not necessarily a satirical one, but certainly a lot more light-hearted, a bit more informal. So, you know, people aren't going to be wanting to stay out from 1 to 5 a.m. to hear serious chat. We're going to have a bit of a laugh. <laughs> so if you want to tune into that, that will be on Expression FM. 87.7 is the FM handle. Our Twitter handle is at Expression FM. The expression page is expression page is www.facebook.com slash expression fm and our website is called www.expression.fm and you just have to click the play button on the streamer and you will be able to hear us. And for those of you in America, actually once at five AM maybe more hospitable time for some of you people. <laughs> but obviously tune in to Dominic's podcast first and then tune yeah. in afterwards to Expression <laughs> FM. Yeah, yeah. When you're when you're tired of all of the uh all of the professional coverage on, on the BBC and, and Sky and all that, you can you can tune in to hear Kieran's thoughts on uh on how on how the election is going. But yeah, yeah so- exactly. I'm gonna be on the show. I'm yeah. gonna be taking it seriously for goodness sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and as Kieran mentioned, I do want to plug my other podcast, Star Wars Underworld Podcast. Uh, we're continuing our, uh, our our adventures, or telling our stories about our adventures at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim that was uh, last month, and uh, we, we're we're just getting to day three now. We're getting to the Saturday, and lots of lots of fun stuff about Star Wars Rebels, and uh, a couple of fun parties as well. And it, it's uh, it'll be a great show, as well as some huge Star Wars news. That great new Vanity Fair cover featuring the cast of The Force Awakens, as well as hey, what's going on with Josh Trank? And uh, we'll be discussing all of that in depth. So you want to tune in Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern on channel 1138.com. Or you can find it the next day on the iTunes feed. Just search for the Star Wars Underworld podcast on iTunes or hit up StarWarsUnderworld.com. Uh, and, uh, if you if you like what Kieran and I do here and you want to hear more of that, you can tune into our other podcast, The Clone Wars Strikes Back, and you find that uh, same place as the Star Wars Underworld podcast. It's where we talk about the Emmy Award-winning Star Wars animated series, Star Wars The Clone Wars, and we'll be bringing that back very soon. We'll be talking about the droid arc from Season 5, and then uh, we're going to do two episodes kind of kind of really close together which is uh which is rare for that show and we'll also be discussing the darth maul arc and you'll definitely want to hear that episode because we just recorded yesterday as of the time of this recording a very very cool interview for that and you do not want to miss it so definitely check that out again star wars underworld on itunes and star wars underworld.com speaking of itunes uh you can subscribe to us on itunes that way you will never ever miss an episode of this show you can also leave us a review we always love to get those uh five stars are preferred but we'll take whatever reviews you feel you want to give us you can follow us on twitter at watcher westeros is the show uh we always posting uh links to the to the new episodes there uh you can follow me personally at dominic j25 you can follow kieran at cduggan6 uh, and uh, you can like this show on Facebook. Just search for The Watchers of Westeros on Facebook and, uh, and like us there. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, email. You can also email us, watchersofwesteros at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on Sons of the Harpy or next week's episode. Or, hey, maybe you have a different theory about how the show is going to play out from what we presented this week. Well, 
let us know there, and uh, and if we like it, we'll read it on the show. So thank you, everybody, for listening. For the Watchers of Westeros, I'm Dominic. And I'm Kieran. And until next time, remember, you know nothing, Jon Snow.